Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you've all emerged from Omicron hell. You're listening to Movie Oubliette, the <laughs> continental connecting podcast with me, Dan, making New Year's resolutions that I actually might stick to in Melbourne, Australia. And me, Conrad, trying desperately to shed those holiday pounds in Cambridge, UK. Oh, that's a challenge. Uh, in mm. this podcast, <laughs> we ignite discussion over fantastical films, horror, <laughs> sci-fi and fantasy because even though the world appears to be burning down around us we take comfort in watching a movie where everything burns down conrad hello <laughs> <laughs> hello dan happy new year to you how are you yes yeah, good 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 uh yeah resolutions have been made and i'll hopefully stick to them making music mm. releasing it into the world yes and i'm hoping to shed the results of two weeks of disgusting grazing <laughs> overeating and watching movies but i've enjoyed every moment of it so it's a small price to pay i think for that dream break <laughs> from everything yes yes but you had some some time away to relax. I did, yes, and even got to the cinema to see a few movies because uh, no lockdown restrictions here. Just Let's all just share the Omicron and watch Spider-Man. That's yeah. the motto here. Yeah. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, did that, had lots of fun. Yeah, it so. seems, seems the rest of the world is also following suit. <laughs> it's the yes, same Yes, I think yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, I think we're just learning to live with it now. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we'll see. We'll see. So I guess our listeners also learning to live with it. What have they been <laughs> talking to us about <laughs> over the holidays? Well, of course, I asked lots of Christmas-themed questions around the uh, holiday season. So um, we've been hearing from people about their favourite Christmas horror movie to watch. Uncle Phil said Gremlins is an easy pick <sighs> and a favourite to watch in any season. Also... But I've not seen it in some time. The British anthology TV show called Tales from the Crypt that came out in the 70s. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I haven't seen. So yeah. that's even before my time, if you can believe wow. that. Yeah. So, yeah, I have not seen that. So I haven't seen that either. Worth checking out. Joe Lipsit of the Horror Queers said Inside, or in its original language, A l'Intérieur, which is a 2007 French slasher film. Ooh. Not heard of it? No, I have not heard of that either. No, I'm quite intrigued. Joe knows all the movies. So, yeah, worth checking out. Mm. Rhett B. Lowry said Rare Exports, the film from Finland. Oh, uh, yeah, I really want to check that out. It looks fun. Yeah. It does. It is a lot of fun, actually. It's, it's quite dark. Yeah. But delicious. Okay. Uh, and he says, I also enjoyed Fat Man starring Mel Gibson. Now, I haven't watched a Mel Gibson movie in quite Oof. some time. Yeah. So, oh, wow. yeah. So, I don't know. Might check that one out. Don't know. 
Uh, Evil Ed came up with quite a few, and I've only seen or heard of a couple of them. He said, The Day of the Beast, I'm Dreaming of a White Doomsday, <laughs> Krampus, which I yes. do know, Slay Bells, B-E-L-L-E-S, Santa's Slay, S-L-A-Y, The Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise, uh -huh. which I have heard of, not seen though, All the Creatures Were Stirring, Elves, A Christmas Horror Story, and Anna and the Apocalypse, which I've heard of, but I haven't seen because it's a musical. <laughs> wow. I have only seen Krampus. Mm. That's, uh, I need to catch up. I know. That's an amazing list. Mm. I thought I sort of had heard of many of the festive horror movies, but apparently not. So mm. thanks for that list, Evil Ed. There's yeah. a lot there for us to put on the list. Yeah, add it to our Christmas special list. Mm, definitely. Damsel in the Dollhouse said, I tend to label any movie with snow as a Christmas film. <laughs> uh, okay. That's an interesting It's a very expansion. northern hemisphere uh, viewpoint, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yes, that's a very good point. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Damsel is saying The Thing, The Shining, Dead of Winter and The Fearless Vampire Killers from 1967. Okay. So it's a good list. Yeah. But, mm. uh, so that's Northern Hemispherist, is it? Is it <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Luis Saavedra said, Incubus, with the first appearance of Bruce Dickinson singing with his band Samson in the song Vice Versa. Ooh. Not something I'm familiar with. No, I haven't heard of that. Sounds fascinating. So Lewis is also our latest patron. So thanks for joining us oh, and supporting us, Lewis. Welcome aboard. Great to have you. Yes. Yeah. And finally, on Deadly Games, the film we covered in our holiday special, uh, we heard from Alain Lelan, <laughs> who oh. played the lead character in the movie. Uh, short, sweet message. I just said Merry Christmas to him when I was talking about the fact that he was uh, seemingly unscarred from the film and had gone on to have a very successful career in uh, visual effects producing. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, so I wished him a Merry Christmas and he came back and said, Merci. So <laughs> I still oh, hear from very him. Very polite. <laughs> yes. Uh, we heard from Eddie Coulter, who said, it's a very strange and entertaining movie. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Which I think yeah. is a good summary. It is. <laughs> and, of course, we heard from Serge oh. of Cold Crash Pictures. Ah. Happy New Year, Serge. Happy New Year, Serge. <laughs> who said, I feel like Dial Code Santa Claus got me to suspend my disbelief by sheer force of will. The plot is pure coconuts, but it plays itself so straight and earnest that I couldn't help but respect what it's going for by the last act. Movie Oubliette continues to introduce me to the weirdest gosh-danged Christmas movies ever made. <laughs> Oh, you know, I partly funny. think that Serge keeps putting in very, very American phrases like gosh danged just to hear me say it in my terribly <laughs> English accent because it, they don't come out very well. I'm aware that they don't sound right, but I do enjoy saying them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thanks, listeners, for writing in. We always love hearing your thoughts on the movies we cover. Mm, yes, 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 we do. But what will be the first movie we cover in 2022, Dan? Well, yes, Conrad. I'll just be one moment. Ah. Oh, it's a 
strange scientific testing room or something. There's a, there's a tub boiling. Oh, nice. And a cinder block on fire. <laughs> and a girl with wind in her hair. <laughs> <laughs> strange. Oh, here's a movie. It's getting hot in here. No, no more experiments. <sighs> All right, I made it out unscathed. Oh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you have for us? Well, today we will be covering the 1984 supernatural thriller horror movie, Firestarter. Ooh, Stephen King. Yes, based on a book by the renowned Stephen King, directed by Mark L. Lister, uh, screenplay by Stanley Mann, and it stars David Keith, Drew Barrymore, in one of her earliest roles, uh, George C. Scott, Martin Sheen, Moses Gunn, Heather Locklear, and Freddie Jones. Wow, that's quite a lineup. So, what's going to happen in this movie, Dan? Well, we follow Andy McGee and his daughter Charlie as they flee from the malicious secret government agency, the Department of Scientific Intelligence, otherwise known as the Shop. Why are they being followed? It's because they have psychic powers gained from an experimental drug called Lot 6. Andy, able to telepathically Jedi mind control people, and Charlie, able to set things on fire. (laughs) The shop finally capture the pair and embark on some fiery testing. But you'd be wrong in thinking this is an X-Men film, or Brian De Palma's The Fury, or an episode of Stranger Things. This is, in fact, 1984's Firestarter. And even though Drew Barrymore is adorable, the conclusion of this film is a lot more fireball-y. Let's talk about it, Conrad. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let's. But I think we might need some help with this one. Shall we rustle up a special guest to guide us through it? Yes, indeed. (laughs) Find out after the break. back today we are thrilled to have an esteemed youtuber one half of the podcast sinister sisters a purveyor of all things spooky and the lead singer of brooklyn punk band is it pronounced quam yes some people say quam Quam. even in my own bands but traditionally we are quam (laughs) okay quam and we are very delighted to welcome from new york usa felicia lobo hello hi (laughs) I'm so excited. And also, look at that. You knew the names of things and you said my name right. I mean, I am impressed. Well, yes. <laughs> we do our research, I guess. Yes. <laughs> How are you today? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I've, uh, I'm have i in grad school right now and I've just turned in my last final for the semester. So I'm feeling light as a feather, feeling great, <laughs> feeling tired. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So just so our listeners can get a sort of idea, what, what are the sort of things that you do? Like you do the podcast, you do the YouTube. Yeah, sure. You're in the band. Um, so on YouTube, uh, I'm Girly Gore and I do a lot of reviews, random videos just about horror movies. It's all horror content. And um, 
I also run a weekly live stream called Horror Movie Club. This semester, I will say, I've been a little light on the YouTube, but uh, the podcast is done with my best friend, uh, Miss Lauren Harris, and that's called Sinister Sisters. And originally, actually, in New York, Lauren and I ran a theater company for a bunch of years uh, doing horror theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can sense a theme. <laughs> and uh, then we decided to move on from that, um, but we still wanted to work together creatively, and thus the podcast was born. And that's really just like us telling each other weird stories from around the globe. Um, like this past week, I did a story about the official wizard of New Zealand who was like paid by the government for many years to be a wizard. Uh, yeah. It's great stuff. Yes. I'm originally from New Zealand. So oh, I'm so do aware. you know about the wizard? <laughs> of course. <laughs> he's, he's nationally famous. Yes, he is. Um, yes, appointed by the prime minister himself. It was wild to research that and so much fun. But he's fired. Did you hear you got fired? No, I did. Wow. He got fired in October. Uh, apparently, he's saying some kind of controversial, loopy stuff these days. Oh. <laughs> and they had to let him go. Right. Poor wizard. But um, <laughs> yeah. And then my last kind of project that you can find on the internet is um, my band, Quam. Uh, we're kind of like a happy, punkish kind of band. I don't know. Yeah. Actually, this month, we had new music coming out. So uh, you can find us on Spotify or nice. wherever. Yeah, I had a listen. You remind me heaps of um, Sleater Kinney. Oh. <laughs> and kind of Sonic Youth kind of vibes. Nice. Nice. I like that. Really cool. I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, today uh, we're going to be talking about a, a movie. It's not really horror, I guess, almost yeah. like supernatural thriller. Uh, so 1984's Firestarter, based on Stephen King novel. Uh, I've never read the book. Have you read the book? Mm-mm. I hadn't seen the movie until today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really last minute in my life. Sorry. Yeah, and Conrad, I don't think you'd seen the movie until pretty recently. No, which is weird because I am a massive Stephen King fan, mm. but for some reason Firestarter just completely passed me by. It just didn't interest me at all. So I hadn't seen it until we were going to be on a panel for Iconicon, the online convention, oh. looking at Stephen King adaptations of the 80s. And I thought, well, I better fill in these gaps. So I watched Firestarter for the first time this year. Well, as a Stephen King fan, what did you think? Well, I think it's one of those cases where they were really close to the book in terms of how they adapted the movie. Mm. And as a result, it's one of the most lifeless things you've ever seen in your life. But maybe (laughs) I'm alone in that. Brutal. A brutal review. How about you, Dan? Had you seen it before this year? I had. Yes, I had seen it. I, I mean, like fairly recently. I didn't watch it when it came out. I would have been one year old. So, um, <laughs> Don't rub it in. But yeah, it, it's quite a different sort of Stephen King story to me because uh, a lot of Stephen King stories are set in small towns and they're very sort of stationary. Mm-hmm. Like it's always about the small town and the, the strange people and happenings in that town. But this is more of a... Yeah, it's more of a road movie. So they're traveling and it does really remind me of X-Men. Uh-huh. And yeah. obviously like Stranger Things has been influenced by it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's sort of the low level superpowers, I guess, and government secret agencies chasing them. So yeah, it is almost like a proto X-Men. I know the X-Men comics have existed for decades, but it is kind of the most modern take on superpower 
type movie that I've really seen. Yeah, absolutely. And it changes it up a little bit, interesting way, because there's there's also like other Stephen King influences. Because obviously, the Stephen King universe is always very mixed up and all things kind of leading to each other. But even things where I'm like, oh, I'm like seeing little bits of Carrie in here. Like I'm seeing a little bits of other yeah. things. And especially like the idea of a, a young girl with this like massive power she can't really control is strong in it. And, and that's, I mean, that's what I liked most about it. I mean, I, I'm very interested in my horror to have strong contrast. And I always love the idea of like evil children or something that is supposed to be innocent mm, um, mm. being incredibly destructive. Andrew Barrymore is she is acting her face off in this. Yeah. I mean, she is crying the whole like all the time. She's doing a great job. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Drew Barrymore. Like when you when you look at her early roles, she's in some really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. So Altered States in 1980, yeah. E.T. obviously in 1982, Firestarter, and then Cat's Eye 1985, then Poison Ivy 1992, Waxwork 2 in 1992. You better have an IMDb up right now, or else I'm going to be very jealous of that list you were able to just <laughs> announce. <laughs> No, I did not. Just right in the brain. That from memory. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, for me, I've always known Drew Barrymore as the rom-com girl. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. you know, I grew up with The Wedding Singer and Ever After, Never Been Kissed, and then Charlie's Angels, Fifty First Dates. So, yeah, it's really interesting how she started off as a child actor in these really. Mm-hmm. St- strange genre films. It's almost like she had much meatier roles when she was younger and then she kind of moved on to like kind of more flipped yeah. easier stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, she's a very renowned producer and she directed Whippet as well, which I, I love. That's one of my favorite movies. So, yeah, really interesting to see where she started off. Um, some of the other actors, I have to admit, I don't really know. Even George C. Scott, I only really know from The Changeling and Doctor Strange Love. <laughs> yes, honestly, same. Yeah, Exorcist 3, of course. Of course. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right, yes. Classic. Yeah. And Martin Sheen, well, is he always in something sort of presidential? He's a type. He's got a type for sure that he is cast in a lot. And, well, actually, I know you're going to do your little, um, these awards you do? Oh, the yeah. movie awards, okay, yes. Okay, well, I'll spoil this one for me, and that is his hair is so tall. Oh, <laughs> it's the hair. It's very it's goofy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and he's essentially playing Greg Stilson again from the previous year's The, the Dead, Dead Zone. Zone yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And he was a last minute replacement for Burt Lancaster, who unfortunately had a heart attack and was not recovering from it as well as they had hoped. Right. Oh, so he came in at the last minute and sort of chewed the scenery a little bit as the government guy that is so drunk with the possibilities of the powers that this little girl has that he doesn't really consider the mm-hmm. danger. So yeah, he's kind of playing that role and it's an interpretation Stephen King himself didn't like. He wasn't fond of Sheen's performance in this movie. Right, yeah. It was kind of confusing who the big bad guy was. Was it Man Sheen's character or was it Rainbird? Yes. Native American? Yeah, quote uh, unquote. Yeah. I think in, <laughs> supposedly. Um, but I, I think that's an interesting question because there's parts of this movie that are kind of about power and, and how anyone wants to use this power from this little girl. And so anyone that is susceptible to that hunger for that becomes the villain, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
Because even the dad is kind of lured into using his daughter as a weapon on occasion. Mm, great point. Which he mm. doesn't do in the book, apparently. He's much more of a free love hippie kind of approach. You know, if you want to roast <laughs> the G-men, go ahead, but it's your decision kind of thing. Whereas, Where in this, he's like, do it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, burn the whole thing down, baby. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> And she's like crying and she's like, I love you, Dad. Will you still love me if I burn all these people? Yeah, go for it. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, what's so sad too to me about that early in the film, because once again, I had never seen this or read the book. Charlie says, uh, it's my fault that mom is dead. And so my thought is that, oh, no, she set her on fire at some point in her mm. childhood. Like that was my first initial thought. Um, and he kind of hugs her as though, yes, it was her fault. Mm. Like he doesn't say it wasn't your fault. Did you notice that? Um, <laughs> and then if I, and then it turns out, you know, it's because they were trying to get to her. Um, and so I mm. understand that perspective. But um, I was like, couldn't have you have said it's not your fault? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There is so much destruction in this movie, and it's amazing. It's pre-CGI. It's all practical. Yeah. Like, full-on fireballs and everything. I am surprised to hear you say that those fireballs are, are practical, because I was like, I, I wouldn't have known how they did that. <laughs> yeah, apparently balls on string, yeah. on, like, lines, like, pretty much flying fox fireballs. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, you can see the strings occasionally. The thing is, though, that you only really have sort of a couple of scenes. There's the scene at the farmhouse and then there's the last 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So you have lots of episodic and now they're visiting an old lady and an old man in their farmhouse and now they're in a cabin. Yeah. You know, it's sort of a road movie mm -hmm. episodic adventure story where the evil G-men, the men in black, or more likely in charcoal grey with a waistcoat in this movie, but <laughs> yes. they catch up to them and then there's a pyrotechnic display and then they move on or they get captured and put in a lab and yeah. it's weird it's a two-hour movie long for the 80s it is yeah <laughs> and for about an hour and 50 minutes of it it's kind of restrained on the effects side and then the last 10 minutes like whoa <laughs> they're like here's our budget yeah here it is alfred display yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i did find sort of the midsection did seem to drag a little bit it was a lot slower paced and i don't know about the character of rainbird like, I wasn't convinced that he was trying to do the nice guy thing. Like, I know it was a whole ruse, but it just seemed like he was evil the whole time. Like, you as a child would not have trusted him? Is that what you mean? Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. I felt that. I was like, he's dressed as an evil villain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I love you. Yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. And he doesn't do much cleaning as well. I mean, he sprays <laughs> a little bit, does a bit of a wipey on, on the table. Uh, <laughs> Charlie, why are you so gullible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she's supposed to be telepathic, right? Isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, that's what's a little confusing in this movie is the, the rules of this movie are seem a little fuzzy at times Yeah, where she can see those cops coming before they get there, but she can't see when she's being tricked. Mm. Strange. And yet she says, I know why they're here and I know that they want to kill you. So she knows people's intentions except Rainbird. Maybe he has some sort of Native American Jedi mind trick that he's doing. Yeah. yeah. With his one fuzzy eye. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether it would have been better to cast a natural Native American, though. That sort of cliche of, oh, the henchman is 
ethnic. True, but that's very apparent in a lot of Stephen King's work, especially in the 80s. I feel like there's always some sort of Indian burial ground or Native American, you know, something. It's I feel like it pops up a lot. That's true. And, and he uses it a lot as an explanation for anything spooky sometimes, which is very funny to me. Oh, uh, yeah, that is true. <laughs> Pet yeah. cemetery, blah, blah, blah. The Shining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. Um, I mean, the evil scenes with Rainbird were pretty evil i mean he mm. like karate chops a guy to death in one chop it's- yes. yes that was scary <laughs> <laughs> after he tickled his nose he's like wake up honey i know <laughs> with, with a twig and then like bam he's dead yeah. I mean, it's definitely not a family kids friendly type movie i mean there's a lot of murder <laughs> there's a lot of murder there's a lot of murder but it, of course we do have our family friendly modern day meme of the girl with the fire oh yeah <laughs> it went around for years but it's like yeah. this girl that's like kind of smiling at the forefront of a picture with her house burning down behind her <laughs> oh right <laughs> yeah and i feel like drew barrymore had that look down i mean she's pretty menacing yes. in some of these scenes i mean certainly at the end of it you can tell that she's just completely lost it and she's determined to kill as many people in as awful a way as she possibly can in that mm-hmm. sequence because her dad's dead. Yeah. Which, you know, I guess is understandable, but it does make you think, what's the future for Charlie here? Because she seems to become everything that they were afraid of. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I kind of would like to see a sequel of this movie. I feel like it was so setting up for something else like the next phase of her development of powers. You wanted it to be X-Men. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much, yes. I wanted X-Men. Because there is a TV miniseries called Firestarter 2, Rekindled. I have no idea whether it's good or not. Uh, it's got Malcolm McDowell in it. Uh, came out in 2002. Probably terrible. But yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing another installment of Firestarter because it is getting a remake, apparently. Yes, I was going to ask if you had read up all that with Zac Efron. Yes. Zac He's really Efron. interested in these kind of thrillers recently. Yeah, so that would be interesting. It's directed by Keith Thomas, um, who directed The Vigil. Mm. Oh, excellent. Yeah, that could be a really cool movie. Yeah. Oh, I was going to ask you, did you know much about the actor... That played the father. I actually like liked his vibe. I don't know, but I didn't really recognize him. Yeah, David Keith. I haven't seen anything that he's been in. Yeah, he's got a very big INDB, but I don't know any of it. Neither do I. See, I only know him from An Officer and a Gentleman with Richard Gere. Hmm. And I remember him from that because I saw it at a very young age. And he kills himself. He hangs himself. Spoilers, if anybody hasn't seen An Officer and a Gentleman. (laughs) He hangs himself naked in a shower. Oh, Thrilling. So David Keith has the accolade of being the first grown male penis I ever saw. Wow. <laughs> and he's very proud of that. <laughs> the actor. <laughs> I'm sure he is. I'm sure he writes to all his friends about it. Yeah. So I remember him for that. And I kind of like him. I certainly like his Southern or shucks kind of homeliness that he has. Mm-hmm. You know, I have no doubt of his love for Charlie and his devotion to keep her safe. Mm. Again, Stephen King, not terribly fond of him. Right. He snarkily commented that he was their 14th choice. 
That's so rude. Stephen King is so rude sometimes in interviews. <laughs> yeah. I'm just yeah. like, that actor didn't need to know that. Like- <laughs> <laughs> it has to be said that all of the quotes that I have that are really snarky from Stephen King about Firestarter was when he was directing Maximum Overdrive and just smashed out of his brain on coke. Right. Okay, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Wow, Maximum Overdrive, what a movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, quite. Yeah, that movie looks like it was made by someone that was high on cocaine the entire time. It Absolutely. really does. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely fun. There's just like ACDC all over this horror movie and and hope for the best. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Oh, something I was going to say about like, because earlier you mentioned the the movie being kind of slow to get to the action. But something that I did appreciate in this movie is that they spent a lot of time just with father and daughter and like on that relationship and spending a lot of time letting us get to know them as a family yeah and in these very cozy settings like you were saying like this little farmhouse and this little cabin and there's times where i'm like oh this is such a sweet movie and then like it's not yeah um and i kind of i like that contrast as well yeah i mean that's what sets it apart there is a lot of emotional weight you do really invest in these two characters really mm-hmm. also worth mentioning that the mum vicky is played by heather locklear in her <laughs> theatrical debut apparently ah yeah she she, uh, she survived 19 minutes and then uh, no more Heather Locklear. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, she's kind of an idealised mom, isn't she? Because she looks very glamorous, like she's walked off the set of Dynasty in every single scene with her perfect blown dried hair. Right, oh, yeah. yes. Her oven mitts are set on fire, but she doesn't seem too worried about it. And then she dies on an ironing board. I mean, mm. how more domestic can you possibly get? How she was in there because he's like please don't be in there and I was like why would she be in there I think there was the trail of blood oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I must have missed that sort of leading up to it yeah that makes sense yeah I mean I, I, even though her role was pretty brief it was still convincing as the mum I, I kind of wanted to know what her power was because you never find out it's supposed to be the same as the dad right was it is that true I think so I think they can talk to each other psychically yeah right. I don't think they really spend time on it in the movie but that's what I thought I saw yeah so I think she's psychic he's a pusher and Charlie is pyrokinetic and also psychic mm-hmm. okay yeah a lot of gray area. Mm. I mean, he's a pusher. I guess he's Jedi mind control. But then he can make coins come out of a phone booth. Yeah. yeah. Which I don't know how much of a conscience a telephone has to uh, <laughs> spit out coins. Yeah, that's what, yeah, the rules are fuzzy. <laughs> and Charlie, I mean, she sets everything on fire. But the scene where she turns the tap... I was like, is it because the, the water is boiling? Like, I was like, what's happening? Yeah. yeah. There's <laughs> exactly. definitely some confusing moments. But I love that she let those horses go. Yeah. She was like, I am not burning down these horses. That's, I was like, you're such a horse girl. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else can die. The horses, though, they got to live. Yeah. I mean, she does ride them and she has a fin- an affinity with the horses, I guess. Mm-hmm. So everyone would have cancelled this movie if she, she let she the just horses burn. Those horses. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Surely this movie would have been influential because it, it does remind me of obviously X-Men and Stranger Things, but also Logan mm-hmm. and Looper as well. Which oh, yeah. They end up at a farmhouse with someone that has 
telekinetic powers. So yeah, this must have been such an influential movie, but no one really talks about it. No, it's largely forgotten. And yet, as soon as I saw David Keith getting the little uh, blood drop coming out of his nose whenever he uses his psychic powers, I yeah. immediately thought of Eleven from Stranger Things. So yes. it emerges from a fairly fertile ground of those types of movies because you'd already had Carrie, mm. Brian De Palma's The Fury. There were a lot of these people with supernatural power movies around about that time. So maybe this was kind of the tale end and maybe that's why because it didn't do very well at the box office Hmm. it premiered in may of 1984 in third place behind robert redford's the natural which is a sports drama and number two was the uh, break dancing drama Breakin, right. which uh, took 38 million in at the box office compared to Firestarters 18. Wow, break dancing, very big that year. Definitely it was, was. yeah, so yeah. big they did a sequel the same year, the famous Breakin 2 Electric, Electric Boogaloo, Boogaloo, which came yes. out in December. <laughs> So, wow. So, yeah, it didn't do very well at the time. And I never hear people talk about it when they talk about King, either books or movies. This isn't one that seems to crop up very much. Yeah, it is very different to a normal Stephen King movie. I mean, it's not really horror. It's superpowers and a road movie and everyone dies. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, apart from Charlie, obviously. So... Maybe not what people were expecting of uh, of a Stephen King adaptation. No. One thing I wondered about is the shop. It's kind of based on the famous case of the experimentation with drugs that the authorities did in colleges in the 60s around the time of the Vietnam War, which of mm. course was a huge scandal. And also it's post-Watergate, so it's around about the time there's a lot of distrust of the government and government agencies. It fits nicely into that, but they seem to be pretty incompetent. For example, why do they kill Vicky and then stuff her in a cupboard on an ironing board wouldn't it have been better to make her disappear? Mm. And then when the dad goes to find Charlie, he arrives at the friend's home in time to see them chloroforming her outside on the lawn in front of the entire neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) The government, not very sneaky in the 80s. (laughs) No, and then they murder a postal worker in the middle of the road and just leave his body there for anyone to find. And surely it would have just been easier to take the mailbox. It just seemed to be... Very brazen. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the times with government conspiracy movies, there's also some kind of higher up that they're really answering to. Like there's like a bigger picture situation. And in this one, it really just seems to be about this one department. Mm. Um, And I'm like, why does this guy seem to have the power? Like it doesn't seem like there's a greater government entity that is controlling any of this and i'm like i feel like if there was they wouldn't be so sloppy it feels like nobody is doing their jobs very well no i mean even when they rock up to the farmhouse and it just seems to be like a hundred men roll out of these cars and they know she sets fires and they have no protection no, no protection and then they can't shoot her so like what were they gonna do just pile on top of each other and just hope for the best no plan no plan no. I, I mean how Rainbird catches them with the the tranquilizer dart Mm -hmm. and then they all emerge in these fire suits. I I don't know. I thought it was a really cool looking scene. Absolutely. Why didn't they do that in the first place? Yeah. I mean. I don't know. But obviously they needed Rainbird. Did anybody figure out what his motivation was? Because he wanted to kill her and he says she's very young and holds the power of the gods and he wants to be looking in her eyes when she dies so he can take the power with him to the other side. I don't know. 
He's also very creepy. Yeah. Like he was saying something about like, oh, I'm going to get very close to her. And like, he's like touching her leg. And I was like, this is like very predatory in like many ways, (laughs) which I'm not sure if was actually the intention of the character, but I don't know. That's just like kind of how I read it at points. And I was like, I don't like any of this. (laughs) Yeah, it was strange. His his motivation was strange. And and the the amount of power that he had over um, Captain Hollister, Mm. Martin Sheen's character. Yeah, I was like, who are you? Why are you calling shots here? Yeah. And like when he does things that he's not supposed to do, there's no punishment. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't make a sense (laughs) (laughs) no and so i was a little sad i mean this might come across as a bit morbid but his death was just too quick I wanted him to suffer. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I wanted him to catch fire in slow-mo over the course of 10 minutes, you know? Yeah. Especially because she trusted him and he betrayed her. And it feels like he actually caused the most damage mm. to her life. Like, you would think that he would get an extra special death. Yeah. yeah. Although, I will say, I was glad to see the father die of a shoulder wound. Because usually in movies, when people get shot in the shoulder, that's kind of like a flesh wound that you get over in about five minutes. Oh, but yeah. in this movie, he actually dies. A little more realistic. Yeah. 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 That's why, I mean, I think movies have also just changed our perception of shooting and stabbing and stuff, where it's just like, oh, like, if they're a main character, they're going to make it through probably. And it's like, <laughs> I don't think so. Not if that really happens. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can die from a leg wound if yeah. there's, you know, excess bleeding. Like, it doesn't have to be a kill shot. Yeah. To uh, be fatal. No. But did anybody believe that Rainbird was in Vietnam, though? <laughs> he was 58, George C. Scott, when he made this movie. So he was quite elderly while he was serving in <laughs> Right. Oh, I didn't even know. Yeah, like... I don't know. Like, I didn't know if that was a story he was telling her just to kind of get her on his side. Oh, so okay. I'm, not, I'm not sure if it was true either way, but maybe. Maybe. Another age thing I spotted was Louise Fletcher and Art Carney as a couple, the farmers. Oh, yes. All oh, right, yes. Yeah, when they drive up, he's like, yeah, we're going to go. My wife's going to make us lunch. I'm expecting another old lady. Yeah. And they drove up and I was like, oh, no. This is <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Yeah. I also love the look she gives him. She's like, why would you bring them here? What are you doing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like he does this all the time. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, you're always bringing strangers. And now th- these ones have superpowers and their governments after that. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that. It's so interesting, though, that they also take her in so willingly at the end when she arrives. Because the last thing they had seen was so scary. And the wife is like, just take the Jeep and never come back. Mm. And when she shows up at the end, she just kind of accepts her very quickly with open arms. And I, I know they got to end it somehow. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was interesting. I think they do mention that they've always wanted a child and they've mm. never had uh, at one yeah. point. I mean, you have to consider like after that first meeting where Charlie blows up everything and then they leave, <laughs> they're having to deal with what, 20 exploded cars and about like, <laughs> 20 dead guys on their lawn. Like, That's oh, such Jesus. a good point. Like, how, <laughs> how are we going to clean this up? How did they explain all those dead bodies to the town? Like, what did they do with all those? Like, <laughs> Well, no, you do wonder about side characters' experiences sometimes. Like uh, <laughs> when the dad goes to collect Charlie and she's being abducted by those government men, so he just wrinkles his forehead and tells the G-men that they're blind. So they're just rolling around on the lawn and then 
the lady that was clearly babysitting their kid comes out and he says, you won't remember any of this. And she just looks slightly bewildered and walks back inside. <laughs> In half an hour, she's going to walk out and wonder why she's got two G-men rolling around on her lawn complaining about their eyes oh, and man. where that kid went. <laughs> How are they going to drive home now that they're blind? What are they supposed to do? These are questions Stephen King did not want us to ask. <laughs> Now it's time for Random Trivia! So Dan, what amazing piece of trivia did you find smouldering in the ashes of some G-men today? <laughs> right. Uh, so I read this on IMDb, so I really hope this is true. So um, George C. Scott actually developed an eye infection um, caused by the contact lens that he had to wear to give him that weird-looking eye. Oh. Um, and so when he wears that eye patch sort of towards the end of the movie, it's to hide the eye infection <laughs> but they they kind of explain it quite well by saying you know he's trying to look less evil or less scary to charlie mm, wow. um, but yeah he's trying to look infection. less evil and scary by wearing an eye patch <laughs> <laughs> yeah first time ever <laughs> the evil villain uniform <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yes. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> he should have put a pirate head on. That would look oh, way, yeah. way less scary. That would have yeah. been much better. <laughs> yep. Get a parrot. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And that's our trivia. Well, I mean, this movie is an 80s film. Let's talk about the music, the score. Mm. So 80s. Oh, yeah. Tangerine Dream. Synths galore. Yeah, just synths. That's all I, that's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> the peculiar thing about it is the director claims that Tangerine Dream never saw a foot of film and sent him reels of tape with no paperwork and no indication of what scenes they were meant for. Oh, wow. And when he called them up for clarification, they said, yeah, just put it anywhere, it'll work. Right. And yet in an interview on the Blu-ray that I have, Johann Schmoling, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, who was a member of Tangerine Dream at the time, he remembers scoring specific scenes and being really tight on the synchronisation to picture for it to make sense, hmm. improvising while watching the scenes to get the themes. So I don't know what's true. Who's lying? Who's lying? I kind of believe the director, because it's not very Mickey Mousey. It's not like it follows particular beats in the scenes it's just kind of a wash of mood yeah i mean i personally loved the score i really did and i thought some of the sound choices were really surprising not what i expected i do think some of the scenes felt scored yeah but there were other scenes where it did feel needle droppy like the music would fade in and then fade out before the scene ends, which I, I always hate. Because then you have a moment of silence, and then the next scene starts. He's like, that was all that was on the tape. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next track. Maybe. Yep. But yeah, I, I actually really like the score. I know it's very dated sounding now, obviously, but... Um, I thought it was good. The only thing I didn't like was the opening titles because it's sort of playing Charlie's theme and it's kind of this sort of plodding dum da dum da dum. It's not sort of setting me up in terms of expectations for the movie. Yeah. And the titles are just against black and apparently somebody having a fag. I don't know. It's just sort of like this little wisp of smoke going across. Oh, yeah, the smoke. Yeah, <laughs> I did find the, the opening 
was almost a little bit too lighthearted for mm. what we were about to witness, I guess. But I mean, format wise, I did like how they dropped you straight in the action. Yeah, into the chase. Yeah, yeah and then sort of uh, explained it through sort of short flashbacks. Mm. I wasn't annoyed by the flashbacks because sometimes in movies, like, they over explain. Mm. Oh, you know what I was grateful for? They didn't put a funny filter over the flashbacks. Yes. I hate <laughs> yes. people do that. And the whole grainy filter of the 2000s and 90s was oh, oh, so bad. It's like, it's okay. I know it's a memory. It's okay. I know it. I already know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love it in movies where they trick you, whether it's a flashback or not. Like in Oculus, mm. that movie, where it's part of the story. Mm. Oh, I and love that movie. You realize, hang on, this is a flashback. I didn't even realize. Yeah. Mm. It's awesome. But generally, it's quite linear and directorially perfunctory you know you compare it to something like Mm. the fury which is just so incredible in how it visually creates the scenes of telekinetic or what have you very stylistic yeah Yeah. that's a great point especially when you think about the other big movies of stephen king's work usually a lot of times you have these kind of big vision directors Mm. Mm. i think i've only seen one other movie from the director so um mark l lester i've only seen Showdown in Little Tokyo, uh, which, (laughs) I mean, his filmography is strange. He did Commando and then Class of 84 and 1999. And then for some reason now, in more recent times, he just does really bad B-grade movies like Pterodactyl (laughs) and Poseidon Rex. Oh, no. Had you guys ever seen anything from this director? Uh, No, but I was just pulling up the cinematographer and I was just curious. And now I'm very extra disappointed because he's a talent. Mm. And I'm just like, where is that style? That would have been fun in here. But I'm also just generalizing all Italian filmmakers right now, which right. is not very yeah. cool. <laughs> I mean, the whole Jallo is a really stylistic way of filming. Exactly. Yeah. But no, this director, I don't really know, honestly. No. So this is a Dino De Laurentiis production. So he brought over sort of Italian crew from his own production house mm. and they filmed it in a non-union state so that they could do it as cheaply as they possibly could. Of course. <laughs> Originally, it was supposed to be a John Carpenter movie. No. Yeah. It was set up at Universal and it was going to be his next one after The Thing. And then The Thing bombed and Universal said, take a hike. And the production just ended up in hiatus until De Laurentiis bought the rights for a million dollars. Wow. Mm. It's so hard when you hear those like shoulda, coulda, woulda stories. Because obviously the thing is so hugely beloved now that it's like, oh yeah, what if this movie had been done by Carpenter? And Yeah, yeah. that's interesting because we did Starman and wasn't that the movie he did after the thing? Which is, Starman is also a road movie with a person with powers. Hmm. I've never seen that. Yeah, it's not the same as Firestarter. It's much more of a drama slash romantic yeah. sci-fi road movie. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So it would have, I think this movie would have been right up Carpenter's alley if he kind of did a Starman slash Carpenter kind of interpretation. Yeah, it would have been really interesting. Apparently his script, which he wrote with the same guy who wrote The Thing, departed from the novel. It just oh, completely. Okay. So when Stanley Mann was brought on by Mark L. Lester to redo the script for their adaptation, they just took the book and just wrote it down 
one and <laughs> handed it in and mm. Dino De Laurentiis said, but this is just the book. Yeah. And they said, well, yeah, you paid a million dollars for it. Why didn't you just shoot it? <laughs> so <laughs> they did. But I don't know what it is for me. I tend to find, you know, like Kubrick's The Shining is a departure from the source material so much so that King hated it. Mm-hmm. But I, it's a milestone. I mean, it's fantastic. And yet the Mick Garris television version, which is very faithful to the novel, not so much. Mm. So I feel like, it. I don't know, being faithful to the novel and not being faithful to the spirit of the novel sometimes is not very successful. It's, it has to be a, a balance, yeah. which I think a lot of people have talked about a successful balance being found in the Dr. Sleep mm, sure. film. Yes. Uh, Mike Flanagan, mm-hmm. of making both sides happy, of like keeping it into your own artistic vision while also, you know, making Stephen King happy on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, very important. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Sleep even as good as a sequel because it references The Shining, but in a way that's not cringy. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't just try to make actors look exactly like Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. and Shelley Duvall. They just had people that didn't look like them at all. So you, there's nothing to complain about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But still referencing them very, very obviously. Yeah. It's just in the spirit of, which is great. Yeah. Because I hadn't read The Shining, so I didn't know how different The Shining was. And so watching Doctor Sleep was like, wow, I guess I can see why Stephen King doesn't like The Shining. It's kind of taking some of the extravagances out. It's like, do you need hedge animals attacking people? Yeah. And it's like misery, the scene where she breaks his feet. In the book, she cuts them off. Right. Wow. But, I mean, I think that just would have turned the audience off. In the film, she just hits him with a mallet and you only see one of them break. And that scene is unforgettable. And everybody is, like, clutching their legs in horror. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of figuring out what his intention was and then figuring out what works on the page versus what works on the screen. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Some of Stephen King's stuff on the page to screen would be just downright silly. Yeah. Look at Maximum Overdrive, you know? It's like some of the imagery that works in your own imagination while you're reading, when you're thinking about the literal of trying to make that and show it to somebody, it's like, wouldn't always work. No. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Even it, you know? It's like, okay, like, giant turtle alien something. It's like, okay, like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Mobley Awards. It's the Mobley Awards. It's where we present our favourite explosive parts of the film in the number of holy heck fireballs everywhere categories. Best quote. Mine's already been mentioned, but and uh, but I thought it was just very sweet, which is the, if I do something bad, will you still love me? Which I think is kind of like the eternal child Mm. to parent question that I just, I thought was very nice. Yeah. Yeah, Even if that includes murder and (laughs) (laughs) destruction. (laughs) (laughs) Mine was Andy's pickup line when he first meets Vicky, the beautiful Heather Locklear in the evil government experiment. And she asks about when they're going to get paid. And he smiles at her and says, I'm broke too. And amazingly, it seems to work. She seems to find it endearing. I'm not sure whether... Yeah. I'm not sure whether I tried that chat-up line in real life. Yeah. I, I don't think most women would uh, find that uh, appealing. <laughs> My favourite quote uh, is when with uh, Captain Hollister and Raidbird, and Hollister says, Rainbird, have you considered what might happen if that little girl found out whose side you're really on? 
And then Raymond just says, oh yeah, I have. And then Hollister says, I'd say you would stand a good chance of finding out what a steak feels like in a microwave oven. <laughs> oh, that's good. Which is uh, that's very accurate. Yes. Yeah. And he did find out, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Best hair or costume? Felicia, I think you already mentioned yours. I did, and that is Martin Sheen's very poofy hair. <laughs> Got a life of its yeah. own. <laughs> it does. A lot of hairspray. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. And uh, George C. Scott's low pony to attempt to make him look Native American. <laughs> oh, God. I was like, come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. They put him in like some sort of uh, Native American design. Yeah, I was like, this is Like jacket this is, as well. I know well. it's the 80s, it's like, but come on. <laughs> uh, at least they didn't try to darken his skin like in um, yes. oh. the party with Peter Sellers. You're that right. is just. Oh. Not yeah. <laughs> Hero costume, Conrad? Yeah, my favourite hair, it's actually quite 70s, I think, is Heather Locklear with her Farrah Fawcett feathered hair. Mm, it just, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like they had a soft focus on her as well, so oh, she looked yeah. particularly 70s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have to mention Charlie Drew Barrymore's uh, double denim. Uh, the jeans, oh, yeah. jeans jacket combo. Oh, it's so adorable. I mean, come on. That's great. Most 80s moment. Most 80s for me. I have to go with the music. I know it's an easy, obvious choice, but yeah, unmistakably 80s. <laughs> How about you, Felicia? Mine was the... First of all, how long the title credits were. Um, they just go on forever. Um, but also the the video games that Charlie plays while she's in ah, yes. captivity. I was like, I don't even know what you're playing. So that's how I know it's old. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know either. Yeah. I thought it was just like a, a fake game. but No, it's real. It's ColecoVision. They give her top of the line in 1984, oh, I think. Wow. Nice. Yeah. They also give her a Cabbage Patch doll. I know. Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> when they're trying to bribe her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Conrad, 80s. Most 80s for me was the family's kitchen, uh, mm. specifically their wallpaper, because, oh my, oh. heavy, dense, intense floral wallpaper in dark browns <laughs> and oranges. Oh, and, yeah. And dark wood cabinets. My goodness, it's quite an eyeful, that kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> but very homey. There's something about that where I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, they've got the macrame plant holders and everything, haven't they? It's nice. <laughs> yeah. Favorite scene. Uh, my favorite is really, it really is the farmhouse when the everyone, you know, drives up and uh, the the old man like brings out his gun and Charlie's just like, you're not going to mm. need that. <laughs> yeah. And and then she, you know, rains hell upon these men. Mm. That's pretty good. That's her yeah. coolest line delivery in the whole movie. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite scene, um, I don't have a favourite scene. Well, apart from the last 10 minutes, which is kind of like I'm waiting for the through the whole movie for something to really kick off. And then the last 10 minutes, she's just she's killing everyone. And it's really spectacular. I mean, all the practical effects yeah. are amazing. It's very carey. Yeah, it is. Unleashes holy Just hell. like utter destruction. Everyone yeah. dies. Yeah. Uh, but I do have a favourite shot, which is um, when all the men in flame retardant silver hazmat suits suddenly emerge from behind every tree around the lake that yeah. they're staying at. <laughs> yeah. Because 
It's just the prone, unconscious McGee's tranquilized on the bridge in the foreground and all these guys emerging and Rainbird in front. I thought, oh, it's actually a stylish shot. Well choreographed. Well done. Yeah, I I loved it as well. I I think it was well scored, I think, Mm. I I recall. Um, Just quite surreal looking as well. Yeah. Although it's a kind of reminiscent of E.T., I guess. Oh, sure. (laughs) I guess so. There you go. Most cliche sci-fi moment. I've probably said mine already, which is the men in black. You know, the government guys that are after the people with the secret power. And we've had that ever since the sort of the fury and the post-Watergate era. They, they Throughout the 80s, there are always government guys trying to track people down. Even NASA mm. in Flight of the Navigator. The least threatening organization you can imagine, <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Government's always out to get you. They are. How about you, Felicia? I would say the the control room situation, um, very sci-fi. <laughs> Just all the buttons that don't do anything. That's, uh, those are always yeah. my favorite. The, the wall <laughs> yeah. of blinking lights. The wall of blinking lights. Um, but one what thing that, that while I was just thinking about that, sort of on the opposite end, is that I feel like in a lot of movies like this, they keep, you know, their subjects in these very, you know, almost prison-like rooms that are very sparse and sterile. And in mm. this, they, they've made them very homey, even for the dad. Like, he's like in a real wooden bed and wallpaper and everything. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, so on the opposite, maybe less cliche. Yeah. Mm, yeah, it was a good, a uh, good sort of approach to it. Like they made mm-hmm. them very comfortable. These like paintings on the wall. Um, they give Charlie yeah. like a pink fluffy dressing gown with bunny slippers. I mean, that, that's that's service. Yeah, a leotard. <laughs> yeah. Best special effect. Is it going to be the same for everyone? The fireballs. Yeah, I was like, it's probably the fireballs, right? <laughs> I mean, we can't look away from balls of fire. I mean. All practical. It's amazing. Like, and it's not just like real quick cuts of fireballs. It's like you see the fireball mm-hmm. fly through the air and hit a building and explode. Like, it's uh, yeah. wow, really impressive. Yeah, my favorite actually is the trail of flame that sort of splits into three to chase three different oh, guys yeah, as they right. go off in different <laughs> directions, yeah. which. Yeah, it was really tricky to do. I mean, basically, they just dug three channels and had three pipelines with gas coming out at various different stages. And apparently, the stuntman Dick Warlock, who once played Michael Myers, mm. um, oh, wow. he suddenly realized that he had outrun his jet of flame. So he, if you look carefully, you can see it. He kind of runs back into it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he says, whoops, we can only do this once, so... <laughs> Yeah. Favorite sound effect. I don't know. I have a least favorite sound effect. Oh, that's probably yes, better. Conrad, go. <laughs> it's the dumb looping sampled voice sound effect that happens whenever the dad uses his powers. And I don't know, it's just a... Yeah. <laughs> I know. When, when did it become standard for like telepathic powers to have some sort of repeated delay effect on the sound? Like what? when did that become standard? Standard. I don't know. I don't In know. In the 80s. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I just thought it was awful. But yeah, apparently that's Tangerine Dream's work as well. Right, so. right, right. Oops. Uh, I was going to mention the swipe card sound because it, it almost <laughs> sounds like R2D2, kind of a woo, 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 woo kind of sound. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's creative, but um, yep. kind of silly. Mm. 
You've got to have beepy noises when you enter in a secret code. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Most funniest moment. Okay, well, Conrad, I've already mentioned it, is when uh, Andy makes those two agents go blind. And I, I, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure when you go blind, <laughs> you just stop seeing. You don't start yelling in pain and go, my eyes, and then fall to the ground flailing around. It just... <laughs> I, I yeah, I think blind people can use their legs. Yeah. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. You know, I don't want to mansplain for blind people. Yeah, and they're not in an excruciating pain either. No. So that, that was confusing. <laughs> Uh, the scene that made me roar with laughter was, I think it was the head man in black, G-Man, who's hit by a ball of fire in the finale with such force that he's propelled upwards into a tree. Oh, that's right. And <laughs> I roared with laughter. That's good. <laughs> because it was ridiculous, but kind of fun. There was some elevation, yeah. <laughs> Mine is actually the first guy that she sets on fire with the the boots. And, ah. you know, just what a horrible conversation that the mm. the guy with the boots and his pregnant girlfriend are having. I'm just like, this is, like, outrageous. And then instead of trying to put the fire out with, like, his jacket, he runs on fire all the way to the bathroom to jump into the toilet. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pretty yeah. funny. And then, like, a security guard follows him, and then he just turns around and says, do you mind? Is that what he says? <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. some, like, cheap try to make a funny yeah. line. Yeah. 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 Do you mind if I put my feet out first? <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's what he says. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love it. Great. Okay. That's our Mooblies. Hi, this is Melinda Mock from Retroblasting, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. It's final verdict time. Should 1984's Firestarter be freed from the oubliette to burn brightly in its cinematic fiery glory, revered by all, or should it <laughs> wither away to dusty ash and be swept into the oubliette, never to be spoken of again? Felicia, Firestarter, what, what are your final thoughts? Should people watch this movie? For me, as a first-time watch, I gotta say I really enjoyed it. It held my attention, and I particularly think it's it's worth watching just to watch a young Drew Barrymore, like, mm. truly give a, a wonderful performance. And, uh, yeah, like, yeah, I liked it overall. Like, yes, I, maybe it's about 15 minutes too long, um, but I, I, I did I did like it. Yeah. yeah. Conrad? Yeah, I, I I kind of, I mean, two minds, part of me feels like it's worth it just for the final 10 minutes because mm -hmm. it really lets rip at that point. But you have to get through an hour and 50 minutes <laughs> of fairly mundane, episodic uh, road movie. And mm -hmm. because, I, I don't know, maybe it's because it's been so influential and so many elements of, a bit of it have been copied and so many elements of it King has dealt with in other books and other movies adapted from his books i don't know i just i didn't get a lot out of it i was kind of bored so mm. i'm not sure i mean it's one of those movies from king's back catalog that i haven't i didn't feel a strong urge to watch at the time i'm not sure i'd necessarily recommend it to people now so 
I'm going to say no. So, Dan, you're the deciding vote here. (laughs) Well, I mean, this movie really does stand apart from other Stephen King adaptations. Um, I I think it's hugely influential in terms of superpowers and that sort of genre of, of cinema. The slow parts, I was invested, actually, because of Charlie and mm. Andy and their relationship, the, the father-daughter relationship, and, and the, the sort of internal conflict that Charlie had with not wanting to blow people up, but at the same time trying to protect her family. So I, I would recommend this movie. I think it's it's definitely mm. does stand out. And in terms of 80s Stephen King, it's, it's actually one of my favourite. I would say so. Oh. Yes, Firestarter is is a keeper for me. Okay. One well. one question for both of you: uh, Have either of you seen *Brightburn*? I haven't. I haven't. But it. I. D- that might be an interesting follow up watch. Oh. Yeah, I did think about that movie when I watched this movie, even though I haven't seen yeah, it. It's a horror mm. superhero. Yeah, powers, good, evil. Which which side? Child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I have seen that. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's actually uh, shockingly gory, uh, which yeah. is very fun. Yeah, I would definitely recommend that over this movie, and it's only ninety <laughs> minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. So yeah. let's release Firestarter <laughs> from the oubliette. Yes. Goodbye, Firestarter. <laughs> Well, Felicia, it's been an absolute blast having you on the podcast. Where can our listeners follow you and check out some of your content? Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. Both of you were so wonderful to talk to. uh, And you really know your stuff, which is is really fun uh, for me. It's fun for me. Um, So you can find me on uh, YouTube at Girly Gore. You can find me on Instagram at Girly Gore Horror and Twitter and at Girly Gore Horror and uh, podcast, Spotify, etc. Same with the bands. Yes. Yes. Know. If you Google me, you'll find me. Yeah. Yeah. And your, your band is it's spelled Q-W-A-M. Yeah. That's correct. For all things punk. Uh, and yes, all things horror. Please follow Felicia. Thank you. And yes, if you want to follow us, Movie Oubliette, you can find us on all our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as Movie Oubliette. And you can email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. And if you haven't already, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And most recently, Spotify has the option to give ratings and reviews. So do it there Mm. because I I don't think we have anything yet because it didn't exist before. (laughs) It didn't, no. So, yeah, hop on over to Spotify and give us that five star. What is it? Is it out of five? It must be out of five. I'm sure. Sure. It must be. Yeah. But, yeah, we need some there, so please do. (laughs) Yes. And if you want to support us even more, you can head over to Patreon and become a patron. For $1 a month, you get access to extended segments and the full interviews with our guests. And for $5, you get uh, access to the the newly launched video version of our minisodes. Yes, and if we're doing live streams, you'll be able to access those as well. So... Yeah, lots to be gained from supporting the show. We're trying to make it worth your while to reward you for your patronage. So please do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And also, merchandise-wise, you can get an assortment of household items with, <laughs> with our logo on it uh, over at Redbubble. Check it out. Yes. Yes, please do. So, Conrad, second movie of the year, what are we going to be talking about? Well, we'll be celebrating the 20th anniversary, believe it or not, of the American supernatural horror mystery film... The Mothman Prophecies. Oh, that movie freaked me out when I first watched it as a uh, teenager. Yeah, I can't believe it's 20 years old already. Mm. So. I know. We're old, wow. Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Don't keep reminding me. Yeah, I know. It's scary, isn't it? So we're going to take a look back at The Mothman Prophecies to see how it fares now 20 years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. excitingly... We'll be joined by the film's director, Mark Pellington. Oh, another guest that I don't know how you got. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So, yeah, that's going to be really interesting. Can't wait to talk about a Richard Gere movie. I forgot Richard Gere was even in that. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's Richard Gere and Laura Linney and Deborah Messing. It's, yeah, quite the lineup. I can't wait. Looking forward to revisiting that. (laughs) Thanks again, Felicia, for joining us on the podcast. Best of luck for 2022. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks for being our first guest for the year. Yes. Woo! <laughs> and listeners out there, here's to 2022. Yes. Lots to look forward to. See you next time. Bye for now. Goodbye. Bye. review the films others tend to forget. You gotta burn it all down, baby. You gotta burn it all down.